Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening, where we are set to explore another movie. This evening, we are going to talk about the Nativity story. Now, I do not have Father Mike with me this evening. I was hoping to have him with me, but his Christmas schedule is just too much. I I know at this point, (laughs) it's like every other week, but uh, he promised me that uh, after this busy season, he will make the concerted effort to be with me on a more regular basis. And, you know, if we were to look back, if we've done 43, 44 episodes, he's been with me probably 80, 85% of the time. So I do plan on having him um, with me on a more regular basis. And I know a few of you have asked me about the video project, the YouTube project. That is forthcoming. We are just continuing to work out the details, continuing to work out the game plan. It's just not something that you can wake up one morning and do. We finally have some pieces in play, and it is forthcoming. I know I said I was hoping for January, and I'm still hoping for January if it's not the end of January. So um, stay tuned for that. It uh, will be posted on my website, joholcraft.org, and uh, this certainly is a project I'm looking forward to, and I know Father Mike is as well. All right, so again, this evening we are going to reflect upon the movie The Nativity Story, which will afford us the opportunity to not only engage the birth of Christ, but in doing so, an important teaching on the Virgin Mary. Uh, In my initial viewing of the movie, I still recall back in 2006, I was with my in-laws, and I still remember the in-depth conversation we had about Mary. Uh, More recently, I was in a number of the chat rooms on this movie, and there is a whole lot of discussion there on Mary and the birth of Christ. So it will be well worth our while this evening to spend some time exploring Mary, in particular the teaching on Mary's perpetual virginity. What's more, here my friends, could we not say the birth of Christ is of particular interest to us in our ongoing project of underscoring the redemptive themes in the movies we watch? Because if drawing out the redeeming themes for the cause of better understanding who we are and our humanity is what this Wednesday project is all about, then the day... Christmas Day, in which perfect humanism enters onto the stage, is, well, my friends, invaluable. Suppose we can kickstart our evening here together with, well, what lies at the heart of the nativity message, the birth of Christ. My friends, never forget that most ancient truth of Christ, that most ancient truth of Christmas, Huh? Deus fit homo ut homo firet Deus. God became human that humans might become God. Now, wait, wait, what did you just say, Joe? What's going on here? Why would the first Christian teachers speak that way? Well, the idea is this. By becoming one of us, God sanctifies humanity and makes possible a new participation a participation in his very divinity. What do we read in 2 Peter 1.4? We are partakers in God's divine nature. And so, how does this happen? Well, by virtue of the grace received in baptism, we share 
and the one baptism of Christ. And I think this point is so important, a point that we so often overlook, that Jesus Christ didn't just say, go therefore baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Translate that Greek. This is very important. What does that Greek say? Baptize into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why do I emphasize the into? Well, my friends, because we share in the one baptism of Christ. That is to say, all Christian faithful who have been baptized into the one baptism of Christ are made holy because they now abide in the holiness of God. This is why you have heard me talk about that all-important passage that comes to us from, what is that, uh, 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, where Paul says there is only one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus. Yes, that's absolutely true. And as Catholics, we embrace that. The idea and principle when we talk about calling upon Mary's intercession and the saints' intercession is that they share in the one mediation of Christ, just as we share in the one mediation of Christ. And how do we share in the one mediation of Christ? Well, my friends, again, because we have been baptized into the very holiness of Christ. So all very important when we reflect upon the core message of Christmas Day, right? God becomes man that man might become God, that man might be divinized, if you will, made more like God, God's holiness. All right, to the movie. Uh, It was on, what, November 26th, 2006, when New Line Cinema uh, put out the Nativity Story, the first major Hollywood feature film to focus on the birth of Christ. And what I love about this is that it had its worldwide premiere at the Pope Paul VI Hall in Vatican City, which incidentally was the first film ever to premiere at the Vatican, which I love, that the first film ever to premiere, uh, be premiered at the Vatican was the Nativity Story. Now, there was a reported, uh, and I'm looking at my numbers here, numbers here, seven to 8,000 present, it was U.S. Archbishop John Foley, that he introduced the film, remarking that we are happy to celebrate here this evening a film in which we commemorate the birth of Christ, particularly at a time when in so many places people are hesitant to say Merry Christmas, to say the name Jesus Christ. I love that. Have we forgotten, my friends, what he just spoke to, the importance of celebrating Christ's Mass? That's what that word is, Christ's Mass. Christmas is a celebration of the God-man who entered into human history, and as we celebrate him, we do that best when but during Mass. What does the word Mass mean? But to be sent forth. Of course, the Mass is the liturgy. Uh, So our Christmas celebrations are at their best when we exchange 101 gifts. No, (laughs) no, but when we celebrate Christ during Mass. And when we do, we are then better sent forth. Uh, By the way, my friends, this is just a footnote, an important footnote nonetheless. (laughs) What is the root word there, the Latin root word to Mass? Missio. That's the Latin word that means to be sent forth. The root there is what? Miss, missile, 
to be just not sent forth, but shot forth, right? The celebration of Christ Mass is a celebration that is electric, is a celebration uh, where rockets go off, is a celebration where we receive Christ and we are sent forth uh, like a rocket, that we are sent forth with a new energy, a new fire. Okay, this is what this great celebration should be all about. Now, as it relates to the movie here, there was an interesting observer, a critique by one Father Angelo Mary Geiger. In his review of this movie, uh, Father Geiger credits the nativity story as, in his own words, a pious and reverential presentation of the Christmas mystery, one that is sincere, untainted by cynicism, and a worthy effort by Hollywood to end the prejudice against Christianity in the public square without any tendency towards skepticism. Um, Now, at the same time, Father Geiger found the film what he called muddled, largely one-dimensional and rarely moving. Uh, I know if you're to go into Father Geiger's review, he juxtaposes this movie with that of The Passion. Of course, The Passion is, is deeply moving, deeply riveting, and often uncomfortable, not because it's untrue, but because it's true, and the Christian message should make us uncomfortable, right? Um, And so he's very critical there. Of particular interest was Father Geiger's take on the often misinterpreted and misunderstood birth of Christ, which brings to the forefront, to the forefront, the teaching that Mary was a perpetual virgin. Now, although the nativity story doesn't contradict or deny the Immaculate Conception, or for that matter, Mary's perpetual virginity, Clearly, it doesn't affirm them either. So Father Geiger was a bit critical there that it didn't affirm these truths. On these Catholic distinctives, the film is largely silent. So (laughs) let us speak into that silence a little bit, in particular Mary's perpetual virginity. Um, Why? Again, because this has been a great source of conversation out from this movie. So what I thought I would do for some of our time, remaining time this evening, was explore Mary's perpetual virginity, what it is, where the Catholic Church gets off on teaching on Mary as a perpetual virgin, because I know there's a lot of questions about that, and then we will return to the movie. All right, so the doctrine of Mary's perpetual virginity proclaims quite simply that the Blessed Virgin Mary was always a virgin before, during, and after the birth of Christ. All right, so let us just briefly look at Mary's virginity under these three categories, uh, before the birth of Christ, during the birth of Christ, and her virginity following the birth of Christ. Mary's virginity, my friends, uh, before the birth of Christ is well attested to in sacred scripture. What do we read in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14? Behold, a virgin shall conceive a son. Uh, Likewise, in the gospel of St. Luke, the angel Gabriel was sent by God we read in Luke chapter 1, verse 27, to a virgin, and the virgin's name was Mary. In the dialogue between the angel Gabriel and Mary, we have a further confirmation of Mary's virginity before the birth of Christ. Gabriel announces, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. How does Mary respond? How will this be? I know not man. And here, of course, to know in this scriptural context, as a reference to sexual intercourse, right? Uh, How does the angel Gabriel respond to Mary's response? The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So, my friends, the dialogue between Mary and the angel Gabriel really does 
bring out both the virginity of Mary and the conception of Jesus in Mary's womb by the miraculous intervention of the Holy Spirit. Now, this teaching, my friends, goes all the way back to the late 1st, early 2nd century, a teaching that was unanimously expressed by the Church Fathers. In fact, there was no patristic Church Father that was opposed to such a teaching. It was supported by St. Ignatius of Antioch, who died in 107 AD, St. Justin the Martyr, St. Irenaeus of Lyon, and on and on down through the line of the early Church Fathers do we see this uh, reaffirmed. Now, there's so much more we could say to the before, if you will, but I want to move along. How about the virginity during the birth of Jesus? Uh, So the second aspect of the doctrine refers to Mary's physical virginity during the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here we might take a more specific look into what the virginal birth of Jesus truly means. The papal definition, that is, the official proclamation of Mary's perpetual virginity, is defined as Mary's continued virginity during the birth of Jesus Christ and how it refers to the event that at that appointed time of birth, Jesus left the womb of Mary without loss of Mary's physical virginity. So here, the Church understands Mary's virginity during the birth of Christ as an absence of any physical injury or violation to Mary's virginal seal. So here, the Church proclaims that this divine act ultimately would safeguard Mary's physical virginity, which is both symbol and part of her perfect overall virginity. How did this happen? Well, St. Thomas Aquinas, the Church's, arguably the Church's greatest theologian, says that painlessly and without change in Mary's virgin body, her son emerged from the tabernacle of her spotless womb as he was later to emerge from the tomb without moving the stone or breaking the seal of Pilate. I love that. I absolutely love that image. So, as light might pass through glass without harming it, so does Jesus pass through the womb of Mary without the opening of Mary's womb and without any physical harm to the tabernacle of the unborn Christ. Huh? Um, is there any implicit reference in sacred scripture to Mary's virginity during the birth of Christ? Well, scripture does affirm Mary's virgin birth of our Lord in the great prophecy of Isaiah 7.14 that we already read, right? Because the prophecy foretells that a virgin beyond conceiving will also bear a son as a virgin. What do we read? Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, it is just not a virginal conception of Jesus by Mary, but in fact, a virginal birth as the words virgin birth more fully convey. I know that might be a subtle point, but certainly worthwhile. Uh, Lastly, uh, the third aspect of Mary's complete and perpetual virginity proclaims that Mary remained a virgin until the end of her earthly life, having no marital relations after Jesus' birth, nor having any other children uh, besides Jesus. Now, my friends, here I want to turn to uh, Dr. Petre's book, Jesus and the Jewish Roots of Mary, because he explores uh, Mary's perpetual virginity. And we don't have time to get into all of this now, but I do want to draw from him here a little bit, because I think there's some real valuable scholarship for all of us. He says this, The first important evidence that Mary intends to remain a virgin while married 
comes from Luke's account of the Annunciation and Mary's puzzling response to the angel Gabriel, all right? Some of which we have already talked about. But if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 34. I'm going to read this, and and I really want to underscore some uh, important points. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How shall this be, since I know not man? Now, for our inquiry, we need to be present to several things and to some extent several objections. First, it is crucial, absolutely crucial, that we realize that Mary is already betrothed to Joseph when the angel Gabriel appears to her. So let us take a step back. According to Jewish scriptures, a betrothed woman was legally married, right? For this reason, relations between her and another man were considered adultery. Now, during the period of betrothal, she and her husband would live apart for a time. At the end of the betrothal period, which would sometimes last up to a year, the husband would bring his wife into his home during a week-long wedding celebration, and they would consummate the marriage. Oh, by the way, that was called the, what? Apocalyptus, right? Where we get the word um, apocalypse, revelation. Now, although it is very popular, (laughs) I think nowadays, for preachers to say that Mary was an unwed mother when she conceived Jesus, my friends, this just isn't true, and this is highlighted by Brandt. Um, Dr. Petre, because at the time of the Annunciation, Mary is a married woman who has not yet consummated her marriage with her husband. Moreover, what's important for us to notice is that the angel Gabriel does not say that Mary had already conceived a child or that it will happen immediately. All he says is that she will conceive and bear a son at some point in the future. So once we realize that Mary is already legally married, the first part of her question to Gabriel, how shall this be, appears to make no sense. Uh, Along similar lines, the famous Protestant scholar Rudolf Boltmann once admitted that Mary's question, Mary's inquiry, is an absurd one for a bride. So put yourself in Mary's place and you'll see why. If you were engaged to be married, and an angel appeared to you and told you that you were going to have a child, would you ask how this shall be? No, of course not. You would assume that you're going to conceive the child after the marriage was consummated. But this is precisely what Mary doesn't do. So how do we reconcile all of this? Well, we have to pay attention to the second half of her response to Gabriel, which gives the reason for her question. How shall this be? since I know not man. Now, some English versions mistranslate this verse with the words, since I am a virgin, or even worse, since I have no husband. This translation is bad because 
Mary does have a husband. The original Greek, however, is quite clear. Since I do not know man. In the Jewish Bible, the expression to know is commonly used as a euphemism for what? But marital relations. As when, what do we read in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1? Adam knew his wife. Hence, Mary's words mean, I do not have sexual relations with a man. Now, this is indeed an absurd thing for a betrothed Jewish woman to say, especially when we recall that she was already legally married. What are we to make of Mary's response to Gabriel? Well, my friends, in context, the best explanation is that she has taken some kind of vow of virginity and that she intends to remain a virgin. Once her intention to remain a virgin becomes clear, Mary's response to Gabriel is no longer absurd. Instead, if you follow it logically, it makes perfect sense, right? In contrast to Zechariah, who doubts Gabriel's promise of Elizabeth's miraculous conception, Mary does not doubt. You have heard me talk about that a great number of times. She simply asks the question of how she is going to conceive. Since she is a virgin, intends to remain a virgin. That is why it is only after Mary declares that she does not know man that Gabriel responds to her question by explaining that the conception of the child will be virginal. She will conceive through the power of the Holy Spirit. And amen to that. Now, I suppose some of you might uh, ask the question, (laughs) what about that all-important word until? What about that all-important verse until? Well, let us flip down to Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 to 25. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had borne a son and he called his name Jesus. All right, so certainly, to be sure, <laughs> this passage is one of the most frequently cited proofs against the perpetual virginity of Mary, right? However, if we interpret it in the first century Jewish context, which you've heard me talk about time and time and time again, these words actually provide important corroboration for the evidence in Luke's gospel that Joseph and Mary do not engage in ordinary marital relations. So to begin with, again, although at first glance, the statement that Joseph did not know Mary until she bore a son may seem to imply that Joseph did have relations with Mary after the birth. This is actually not the case. Uh, The Greek word until, heos, heos, simply describes a certain period of time and does not imply anything about what happens afterward. Uh, Consider, for example, the following examples from Matthew's Gospel, in which the word until clearly does not imply a change afterward. Go to Matthew chapter 22, verse 44. What do we read there? The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Or how about uh, Matthew 28, verse 20? Jesus came and said to them, lo, I am with you until the end of the age. Uh, Perhaps the most striking example of all comes from the account in the Greek Old Testament of what happened to King David and his wife, uh, Mishal, after she despised him for dancing. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 23. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child until the day of her death. Right? Now, obviously, <laughs> the use of until here does not imply that Michal began having children after she died. 
In light of what we might call and what Dr. Petre calls linguistic parallels, really, both Protestant and Catholic scholars agree that Matthew's use of the word until, the, the Greek heos, with reference to Joseph's abstinence, simply does not imply anything about what happened after Jesus was born. Right? Very important. Some of you might be asking, well, what about Jesus having brothers? Again, we have to get into the Greek because the Greek word for brothers is adelphos. It's actually better translated as cousin or kinsman. The thing of it is, my friends, in Jewish antiquity, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of distinction there between brothers and cousins and kinsmen because you were a part of a clan, you were part of a tribe. Uh, so there's a whole lot of examples there. I'm looking up at the clock. We are running out of time. It would be enough to say that as we explore Mary's perpetual virginity, certainly we are exploring something that belongs to the divine. Um, and if you are one who says, well, I cannot believe that because that's just impossible to believe. If that is your governing principle in interpreting Mary's perpetual virginity, then what do you do with the resurrection? Remember what Paul says, without the resurrection, our whole faith is in vain. If you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, just within the context of believing the supernatural, why can't we believe Mary's perpetual virginity? And taking it one step further, using that analogy of St. Thomas Aquinas, it is the resurrection of Christ that might help us uh, bring insight into Mary's perpetual virginity. Right? Because in so many ways, the resurrection is an archetype of a passing through miraculously. So uh, certainly something to think about. All that being said, <laughs> the silence on this matter of Mary's perpetual virginity does not mean that the film doesn't affirm Catholic truth regarding Mary and the uh, nativity story. It does. It affirms the Annunciation. It affirms the Incarnation. It affirms the Visitation, the various angelic appearances to Joseph, Zechariah, the shepherds, all of which are very moving in the movie itself. It affirms the Christmas star and the journey of the Magi, the adoration of the shepherds and the Magi. It affirms the, the betrothal of Joseph and Mary that we talked about, the Roman census, the journey to Bethlehem, Herod's slaughter of the innocents, the flight into Egypt. It affirms prophecy fulfilled, faith in God honored, uh, virtue tested and rewarded. Brothers and sisters, the nativity story really does capture the essence of of what this season is all about, because it affirms Jesus Christ, God made man and Savior of the world. It affirms his coming into the world as the turning point in history itself. That's a lot to get right. A film that does all that has affirmed a major chunk of what is central to the Christian mystery, that God became man, that man might be divinized in God. And so, my dear friends, I do encourage you during this Christ Mass season to watch the Nativity story, because although it's December 26th, Christmas has just begun. What we've been celebrating over the last four or five weeks is just the preparation. Over the next 12 days, we are all about celebrating the birth of our Lord. And maybe a good way to do that is watching the, the Nativity story and having a conversation about that. I know we've had a more theologically developed conversation, conversation about Mary's perpetual virginity, because I know there are so many questions about it, and certainly it's, it's what's taken up a lot of space in the chat room, so it's going to meet you where you're at. But 
Maybe that conversation might be about Mary's visitation to Elizabeth, or maybe the star. I've talked about the star elsewhere. We didn't do it this evening, but whatever pulls on, your, on the strings of your heart, have that conversation with your family, and hopefully you're enriched by it. Amen? Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen? And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.